What's funny about these, uh, these uh, this discipleship foundations that we're about to go through, um, before we get into those, there, there's actually one that was really stirring in my wife and I's heart, and we wanted to share a little bit of that discipleship tenant as well, because we feel that it can lay the groundwork for a lot of what um, will come for the following eight weeks after we start on September 4th. And... It comes to basically that core question that all of us have probably asked at some point in our lives. And if not, you've definitely pondered it internally, even though you might not know how to ask it, you know, uh, consciously. And that question, of course, is, for what purpose am I here? Yes, it's a question that's kind of like, well, you know, there's this and there's that in the natural world, and maybe I'm here to be with my church and I'm I'm supposed to do this. But, But truly, as you step into that question, the real meat of it is, well, what purpose am I really, really here for? And we want to step into that today because we feel like if we can explore that question a little bit better, then maybe, just maybe, we will identify that it comes, it's inside of us. That question, the answer to that question is right inside of us. It's in our DNA. Our life's purpose is in the DNA of who we are. Our spiritual uh, life will be unraveled, uh, revealed in that. And it's funny because it kind of started when we were talking, we were at a a dinner with uh, some friends recently, and she said, uh, our friend, she had said to us, she goes, hey, I'm thinking about doing the um, ancestry stuff, like the 23andMe or the DNA. Have any of you guys done that? You know, yeah. No, no worries, you know, there's no judgment here. But, <laughs> my dad's over there, he's shaking his head, no, no way, no way, and I'll, and I'll talk about that in a second here. But what's interesting about those things is you're doing them, a lot of people do them, and, and, and you're thinking, oh, that's kind of cool, I'm gonna find out what my background is. We've, we've talked to people where they thought they were a certain something, and they ended up not being that something at all, because they were told all their life they were that something, but they weren't. My old boss, uh, she was, you know, she used to always say, hey, I'm FBI, I'm full-blooded Italian. You know, that's who I am, I'm FBI, full-blooded Italian. She cooked amazing Italian food, amazing. She did one of those things and she found out she was mostly Spanish. <laughs> now, think about it. That's kind of like an identity crisis in the moment. For all these years, you thought you were this FBI, full-blooded Italian, but then all of a sudden, not no more. Whoopsie. Better start learning how to make some tapas or something like that, you know? <laughs> but it's interesting because it still revealed to her something that she didn't know about herself. And while it might have been shocking to begin with, more came from that, and I think she embraced it even more. And you're seeing a lot of that happening right now with this ancestry-type stuff, the genetic genealogy, genealogy uh, stuff that's going out there. You know, they're taking strands of your hair, they're checking it, and they're finding out your ethnic backgrounds, but not just that. They're finding out amazing things that are, are coming up too. It's not just your ancestry. People are finding family members that they've never experienced before. That same friend that I was telling you about that asked uh, that question or was wondering about doing uh, her DNA or checking what her ethnic background was, she also mentioned, that, I mean, she didn't mention, we knew uh, for the last uh, several, I'd say probably about a year, that her husband had never knew his real father. And so he finally did the ancestry thing and come to find out, you know, a few different people pop up on that list that he's not used to and reaches out to them, finds, finds out that his father is uh, around, actually probably only an hour away, and uh, ends up, uh, they, they end up meeting and they have a great experience with one another. He ends up coming to his, his son's wedding, so it would be for the new biological father, his, grand, his grandson's wedding, and it was a cool thing, right? And this is after 45 years, mm-hmm. 45 years. My sister, uh, some of you guys know her. I remember one time she sat with me and she, she shared with me that she desired to, you know, find her dad. And for years she went looking. For years she would, you know, try to do the research and all that stuff, but not until this genetic genealogy started coming up did it become more uh, available. And then all of a sudden it happened. 
And she found her father, and her father wanted a relationship. And they were able to spend time together. And they were able to catch up. She was able to find new family that she never knew she had. And I think it satisfied and filled her in ways that maybe were always empty before that. Now, she loves her adoptive dad, my dad. No problem, right? But there's always something, right? There's something that avoids, something that's missing. And she was able to find that. And, and that relationship's still there. Now, it's not always rosy, you know, and great when those things happen. Uh, my, I have a brother as well that also went through that process and, and came to find his father. And at first, I remember I asked him, I go, are you gonna, are you gonna look for him? Or are you gonna, you know, try to reach out to him? And he was like, I don't have an interest. He goes, I love my dad, which is my dad, the adoptive dad. Um, I love my dad. And uh, I don't, I already have a father. I don't need to. And I could see there was a hardened heart there. Over time, it softened a little bit. And he went and he visited this man who was in his, you know, later years. And he was able to at least experience and know a little bit more about who his biological father was. So there was this, there's these things that come with recognizing your DNA as people are checking out their DNA and their genetic genealogy and they're finding things. What else is happening with this DNA stuff? They're solving cold case murders. I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we love the whole, you know, thrill, the, the, the um, true, true crime stuff. I don't know about you guys. We love that. We watch those cold case shows all the time. Some of you guys, I'm sure, do too. They are, there's one lab called Parabon Labs that has solved in the last four years 200 cold cases mostly severe cases, you know, you know, deaths, kidnappings, stuff like that, 200, this one lab alone, because there's multiple labs doing this, 200, lab, or 200 cases closed in the last four years. That's one a week. Think about that. These families have been without justice for nearly 30, 40, 50 years, and now through genetic genealogy, they're finding justice in week, weeks maybe a month, because of this technology. It's crazy. It's fascinating to me, and I only bring it up because in my mind, when I think about these things, the power that it has when you chase after and look into your DNA and see, it starts to reveal possibly some new peace in your life. Things that you didn't know before, things that you were questioning and always wondering about, brings peace to those things. It might bring truth where you didn't know truth existed. It might bring justice in the case of those cold case things. It brings revelation of who you are. And so when I thought about that, and I think about all of us here, the one question that I posed to you earlier, which is, for what purpose am I here? We don't need to look any farther than the Bible to see what is in our DNA, our spiritual DNA, that tells us who we are. Because some of you might be floundering around and thinking like, man, I go to church on Sundays and I'm trying to figure it out, but I still don't know what the real deal is. Bless you. Bless you. No. Um, <laughs> and if you have those questions, if you're feeling that way, don't worry. We felt that way. We felt that way in our life too. Where what is the purpose? So through some of our study, through some of our exercise, through some of our time in the Word and with other types of learning tools, specifically ones that we're going to learn in that foundations for discipleship and community. One group that we uh, are very focused on is three-dimensional movements, a, a pastor named Mike Breen, great author as well. He, uh, he, he had trouble studying the Bible. And so it was harder for him. He had like a learning disability, so it was harder for him to study the Bible. So he started looking for ways that he can better understand it itself and how it relates to him. And what he did was he recognized themes throughout the Bible. And one of them that stuck out that he wrote an entire book on was called Covenant and kingdom. It's a theme interwoven throughout the entire Bible. And it's about these two phrases that you'll see in the Bible in different translations. It combines up to 450 times you'll see that, those words together in the Bible. Covenant and kingdom. And he realizes that that covenant and that kingdom actually leads to an idea of who he's supposed to be and how he's supposed to act in practice for this kingdom. His two roles will become more revealed as a result of going through that theme. So what we wanna do today is cover that really quickly, talk about what that looks like, the covenant 
uh, and the kingdom aspect of our DNA. And then my wife would like to share a practical application of that in her life when she's seen covenant and kingdom in there. And then we'll have a call to action for you guys in terms of how you can step into that even more. Now, some of you guys that have been here many, many moons, uh, you may have ex- seen this before, but we're hoping that it'll, again, ground the, kind of lay the groundwork uh, for, for that. And um, I, I, did, I forgot to tell that story about my dad. I want to tell it real quickly. <laughs> so when I shared, when I shared uh, you know, like, hey, you know, all this ancestry stuff's crazy. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, I got three rules in life. Never take money out of an ATM uh, where they charge you. Getting charged for your own money. That's number one. Number two, always make sure your taxes are balanced uh, uh, when you don't get a big refund or you have to pay a lot of money. Just make sure, because otherwise, if you're getting a big refund at the end, you think you're making all this money, but you actually gave them a 0% interest loan the entire year. That really bothers him. He's a budget analyst for most of his life, a comptroller, so that really bothers him. And number three, don't give your DNA to anyone because you might be, you know, sought out at a, a crime scene all of a sudden. And I, I was like, Dad, how, how, how is that possible? You never know. You just never know. Your DNA might somehow show up at a trace, you know, trace DNA or something that's in Chicago. And then he gives examples and stories about it. He's like, oh, man, there's this one and there's this one. So one day, my wife and I, we did it. We didn't do the ancestry one. We did it for a nutritional thing. And I, I had to call my dad and I had to tell him, I'm like, hey, dad, sorry. I, I got bad news. Uh, we went ahead and did a, a hair sample thing to get our nutritional kind of uh, in, um, in food intolerances and stuff. And of course, that means they have our hair strands. And I thought he was going to hammer me. I thought he was going to hammer me. And he said, yeah, whatever. And I go, oh, I, I said, dad, I, I was expecting you to be a lot more... Uh, upset about that. And he said, well, it doesn't matter anymore. And he says, your uncle Keith, which is his twin brother, your uncle Keith already did it, which means because we're twins, identical twins, my DNA is in the database and it's not even my choice. I didn't even do it. So he's holding a grudge on my uncle Keith, his identical twin, because now my dad might be, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, convicted of a crime that he didn't commit due to no action of his own. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that, Dad. The real bad news, though, is that uh, I went to the casino and uh, I took out $10 and it, cost, it charged me $8 to take that $10 out. And that's what paid for my intolerance uh, hair sample stuff. Sorry. But the good news is I got it from a huge uh, tax return that I got. So needless to say, I'm surprised he's here today to even uh, spend time with us because I've ruined all three of his rules. All right. So covenant and kingdom, again, it's seen throughout the Bible 450 times, depending on the translation. But what does it really mean? Well, we want to define it a little clear, more clear for you. You'll also see it in your lift notes. But if we define it, and then I'm going to switch it over if I can here. Maybe not. Maybe i got to have uh, Mr. Stan do it for me. We're looking for the uh, covenant equals relationship. I had it. Now I got it. All right. There we go. So covenant, what is it? Yeah, just you can keep it right there. It's relationship. A covenant, we think a covenant, we think of like a pact, right, or a contract or something. But it's a relationship. At its core, it's a relationship with God. Oneness with God. God made covenants in the Old Testament to variety of different people a covenant he made a relationship with them he told them like hey i'm gonna give i'm gonna give you relationship access to me we're gonna have relationship and then kingdom that's also shared in here it's a responsibility to represent god and to represent him well covenant and kingdom another way to look at it is your identity covenant your identity and kingdom, your mission to serve the kingdom. You have a responsibility. If you look at it again, it's your relationship and your responsibility. In other words, if you have relationship, comes responsibility, right? We have a marriage covenant. With that relationship, I have responsibilities to her and she has responsibilities to me. We have relationship. I have responsibilities to you. You have responsibilities to me. With God, we have relationship. 
we have responsibilities for this kingdom. And he calls us on it. Another way you could say covenant and kingdom is being and doing. Invitation and challenge. You're invited into something and I'm challenging you to step into more. Being with community and operating a mission within that community. Accepting and, for, and providing forgiveness and accepting and providing freedom. Covenant is relationship and kingdom is your responsibility. So let's look at a couple examples here and I think I can click it over here. There we go. I'm gonna give you an example, a few examples here to get us through this. We've got right at the beginning in creation in Genesis 1.26, you find covenant and kingdom right away. And you'll see these, there's some of those lines are in the script, in the passages underlined. That is not the Bible underlining it, that's me underlining it to help you uh, with some of, uh, identifying some of those uh, covenant and kingdom relationships and responsibilities. So it says in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The covenant relationship that's identified in that passage is that God created us in his image, in his likeness. If that doesn't tell us anything about relationship, I don't know what does. He's basically saying, hey, I like you so much, I want you to be like me. I like you so much that I want to design you like me in the way I am, in the character of who I am. But in doing that, my kingdom responsibility would then be that, what? I rule over the creation, right? I'm making you like me, but then your responsibility is I need you to rule over creation. Make sense? Covenant relationship? I'm gonna make you like me, we're gonna have a relationship, but I need you to take care of the rest of my creation. You're gonna rule over it. You're gonna work the land. You're gonna be fruitful and multiply. You're gonna do the things as a responsibility of being like me. So that's one example. Unfortunately, we know that Adam and Eve kind of blew that. <laughs> but that's the cool part is, even though they did, that's what started the father's quest to redeem us, right? That was the Father's quest after that, to redeem us back into a covenantal relationship with him. And that's what's super cool. So that's one example right there for us. Here's another one. With Moses. You know, Moses, if you know the story of Moses, he, you know, he suffered from self-esteem issues. He didn't think he was the guy. He never did. He always felt like, man, I don't know if I'm the one that's supposed to be doing these things. He struggled with that a lot. But then the Lord shares this with him. It says in Exodus 3.10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Covenantal relationship again. God calls Moses and the Israelites his people. If that doesn't explain relationship again, I don't know what does. He is basically saying, you are my people. I'm here for you. I'm gonna take care of you, Israelites. And because of that, your responsibility, Moses, is to go and see Pharaoh, you know, the big cheese, and let him know that uh, he needs to let his people go, or, you know, God's people go. Not an easy task. Not an easy task at all. And yet, that was his responsibility. He has a relationship with God. God calls him his people. And his, and his response is, I need you to go and set the captives free. Moses had a responsibility. Now, Moses in himself couldn't do that. It's impossible for Moses in his own character and nature to do that. But of course, we know with God, it's a done deal. Uh, that's one. Let's see here. So one more example, or a couple actually. We'll go with... Uh, Jesus with the Great Commission, okay? So it says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's the covenant relationship in this? He assures them no matter, because he, 
God just dropped a big responsibility on them. The responsibility, the kingdom responsibility is uh, go make disciples, right? I need you to go to the outer ends of the earth and make disciples. It's, it's a task, right? That's, a, that's not gonna be something like you're gonna do in a day. He's telling them this is your responsibility. And that's a stressful thing for us in the natural, right? But for God, he reassures them in covenant relationship by saying, and I will be with you always. I will be with you. You're not going to have to do this alone. You're not going to have to make disciples on your own. I'm with you, always. Kingdom relationship and, or I'm sorry, covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility. So there's a few examples from other people in their story, but what about us? What about us? How do we apply those same things to our own life, in our own covenant relationship, in our own kingdom responsibility. It says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now that's a, <laughs> we all know this verse, we've all heard this verse, we all see this verse, I'm like, whoa. And it's not easy. We've all fallen short. We all know that. But if we look at this one again, the covenant relationship that we're responsible for is love. There's a love between us and God. There's a love relationship that we have. And because of it, our kingdom responsibility is for us to keep his commandments. And so the question is, wow, okay, I get that. Easy, understood. However, not so easy right? Not so easy. I hear that, but there's times where I struggle with that. Believe me, we struggle with that. And the natural things that are happening in this world, it's easy to get off kilter and, and, and struggle with that. But for us, we have to recognize and see this as this is our DNA. This will reveal more to us as we actually press in on this. So the example for us here is we have a covenantal relationship too, and that is a love relationship with God, a oneness with God, and our responsibility is to keep his commandments. But how do we do it? How can we see this covenant illustrated in a way that helps us understand better how we can follow through with it? So on the back of your lift notes, you will see uh, some shapes. The first one, we're, we're uh, using a triangle as an illustration for this covenant relationship. So you see the covenant triangle there, and uh, got it up on the screen as well. We're talking about relationship, and the relationship we're talking about specifically is one with the Father. So you see the Father at the top of that triangle. Now, from the Father, from Him, from the Father, I wanna make sure we're clear on this, from the Father, through his grace, not through our works, through his grace, we are given identity. Through his grace, we are given identity. Why do I keep saying that? Because oftentimes, as you know, in the natural and when we're working, we, we don't do it that way. But let me, let me finish through this triangle and then we'll, I'll share why. The father because he's good. He's a good, good, good father. He automatically gives us identity because he has sufficient grace for us no matter what happens in our life. No matter how we interact, how we operate, there is grace upon grace for us as our first role, being children of God. Grace upon grace. And through that grace, he provides us identity. What's that identity? Child of God. Son or daughter of God. Nothing else needed to sit in that identity clearly, nothing else. You don't need to work towards it. You don't need to operate in right, some righteous works to do it. You just need to sit and rest in the idea that your identity comes from him through his grace. And when you have that identity, a secure identity, knowing that you're child of God, then when it comes to obeying his commandments or keeping his commandments, then because we know we have this secured identity, we can surrender. And that's what we go across and there. We can surrender to his will. 
what we see in the word of God, when he tells us certain commandments or he tells us certain things, we can surrender to that freely because in the same way when we were talking about DNA earlier, when we see those things come and be revealed in this DNA report, we can recognize and surrender to, well, that's who I am. And, and because of it, I can, in this DNA, our spiritual DNA, we can say, and he's a good father, so I can surrender to what he has for me because my identity is secure no matter what. I'm not gonna lose that identity if I screw up, right? And we'll still screw up. Every, she, my wife just said, which we will. And through surrender, through submission, you'll experience obedience just simply because you're surrendering to his will. You will experience obedience. So when some of you are like, man, it's hard to obey. But actually, when you're in your perfect, secured identity and you're like, man, I tried. Thank God I'm a child of God. And I surrender to his will. Obedience comes from that. Okay? So that's the covenantal relationship. He's a good, good father. We get an identity through his grace, and from it, we, we, we freely experience obedience simply because we are in love with that relationship. Here's the problem. Some people try to run this triangle backwards. They start with obedience, and they think that if I start with obedience, if I obey the things, the law, then from there, God will give me an identity, and from that identity, then I will have a relationship with my father. Mm-mm, that is not the case. That would be through righteous works. That'll be through trying to work towards a love of your father. We know our perfect father doesn't require you to earn his love, just simply bask in his grace. So if you've been chasing your relationship with the father by saying, hey, I'm gonna be obedient to what he's, he's calling me into so that he will accept me as his child, you're doing it wrong. And I get it because I did it wrong. There was many a year where I thought, man, I gotta just chase, let me, let me read this Bible. Oh, I gotta follow these 700 different laws if I'm gonna make it happen. But it was once I realized that was not the way, the covenant relationship, that his grace provided that in the same way he did it for Moses, in the same way he did it for Abraham, same way he did it for Adam and Eve in creation. Then it became easier for me to feel and experience that surrender because I recognize already that he's, he's not gonna take that away from me. He's not gonna take my identity away from me simply because I've messed up once or twice, three times, 700, you know, seven times 70. So that's the covenant triangle. Can you give that for me? I'm gonna switch this over. And there's the next thing. We're talking about covenant and kingdom. So the cool thing about our father in heaven is he's not just our father, that's one role he has, but the other thing he is, is he is the king. He's the king of kings. The king over that kingdom of God that he's talking about. And we can illustrate that kingdom triangle in, or kingdom through a triangle as well. At the top of the kingdom is the king. And guess what? We are his ambassadors. We are his knights. So when a king is trying to take over territory and he has messages for other um, kingdoms, he sends his ambassadors and when he does that, he sends them with authority. So you see authority there. Because it would be weird, right, for us to come and say, hey, I come, I come to take over this territory. So what I, let, let me use an example. We know the world here is full of darkness. We know the kingdom of darkness operates in this world. So if I try to, as an ambassador of the king of, kingdom of God, go into a place and say, hey, I'm here to take back this territory and I don't think I have any authority to do it, guess what's gonna happen? Ain't nothing gonna happen because I don't actually have the authority. That's why when kings during their time sent their ambassadors, they sent them with authority. Typically, it would be a, like a written letter and they would have the wax seal on it so that everybody knew that that message was coming from the king of that kingdom. The ambassador wasn't the king, but he represented the king because he had that seal. Guess what? We have that seal in us. Right? We have that seal in us. So, if we think about that, then when we go out, we can operate in authority knowing that we represent the king of kings. 
And from that, when we go out to those other territories, let's say there's some darkness out here, and we come against the darkness and say, hey, I don't, I don't like that. That ain't, that ain't happening here. If, if, uh, if the enemy or the other kingdom said, oh, you, you want to take this from me? Well, you and what army? Right? I mean, it's true, right? It's not going to go uncontested. No kingdom, especially the kingdom of darkness, is not going to be like, hey, you're right, just go ahead and take it. No, they're going to contend with us. They're going to say, nah, you can't have it. What, what makes you believe you can have it? What, you and what army? Now, this is the great part. Not only does our king carry with us authority, he also sends with us power. So it's, it's enough to go over there and say, in the authority of Christ, we are taking this territory back, but he also gives you the weapons of the kingdom to actually, in power, take it back. What does that look like in the natural? That might be somebody going over to somebody who says, I have an injury, and the doctors tell me that I'll never be healed, and that I'm gonna have to live with this for the rest of my life. That is a lie from the devil. And so what ends up happening is when you recognize you are an ambassador of the, a different kingdom, not this world, from a different kingdom, and you come and you say, nope, that territory belongs to me and my king. We're taking it back because we got authority. And then we're able to press into it with power by laying our hands on that person and saying, this is not of the kingdom of God, and we pull back. And in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, we're lifting that out. We're, we are from heaven. There's going to be a healing touch on this body. And if any of you have seen healings, then you know it's real. And if you've seen people healed from addiction, then you know it's real. If you've seen marriages restored, then you know it's real. So for us as representatives of the kingdom, we need to press into that more often than not. It can't be one day we feel the power and we're like, yeah, that worked. And then the next day, yeah, I don't represent the king well today, so see ya. No, it's in our DNA. It's in us every day. We're able to step in it every day. So here's the secret sauce. This is the kicker. If you put these two triangles on top of each other, the father one, uh, covenant one on top of the kingdom one, you start to see something very, very special illustrated here. Basically, if you, on your paper, your lift notes, if you draw a couple arrows down from identity to authority and obedience to power, you'll recognize that you're like, how do I be a good ambassador though? How am I gonna be a strong, confident ambassador? Well, it goes back to your relationship with God. It goes back to you're just a child of God operating in grace. Because there are times where we've gone into the field of darkness and we've lifted hands and we've done things and maybe we haven't seen the work yet in the natural. Doesn't mean he's not working. Maybe we haven't seen it. And so we might think, well, I'm not doing that ever again because I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want to you know, hurt that person's faith or I don't want to do that. Not a good call. Because the truth of the matter is, is through his grace, remember there's an arrow coming down from father to identity, through his grace, we are able to operate securely in that identity. And so if you think about it, the more secure you are in your identity as a child of God, the more secure you feel like, doesn't matter what I do, I will never lose that covenantal relationship because me and God have this. I, I'm gonna blow it sometimes, but I know that I am secure as a child of God. The more I represent and embrace that identity, the more authority I get to walk in. The more authority I, rep I recognize. I'm like, hey, as a child of God, I have authority because he's also my king and I'm also his ambassador. So I can walk in this with confidence knowing that he's gonna use me. That he doesn't like these things happening in darkness and he wants to fix them. That he wants to heal the world, that he wants to bring it back whole. And so he pulls that. And, he, and so basically it says on the left there, secured identity equals more authority. When you allow his grace to continuously sufficiently support you as I'm a child of God and that's never gonna change, then I'm gonna experience more authority. Then guess what? When I surrender, because I love my father, my good, good father, when I surrender, I'm actually in loving obedience just naturally obeying him. And what's some of those, what's some of those things we're obeying? Like uh, lay hands on people, heal the sick, raise the dead. Those are challenging ones, huh? But if we experience that, well, I'm still a child of God, I know that that can't be taken from me, even if maybe it didn't work the way I hoped or it didn't act, happen the way I, uh, you know, I hoped it would, boom, I walk through that, 
If I'm operating in more surrender and loving obedience to, I'm gonna step out, that person looks hurt, that person looks broken, that person needs uh, kingdom love right now, and if ah, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel secure enough or I don't feel confident enough to do that, start feeling that way. Start getting there. Start pressing into that. Because I tell you, when you walk up to somebody in your faith and say, I believe God has a different story for you today. I believe God has a healing in store for you today. I believe God, not you, God wants to do something in your life today. Then that authority and that obedience, because you obeyed the idea of helping out somebody that's hurting, you'll start to experience more power. You will experience power upon power. You'll experience things that you're like, whoa, I never thought that could work in me. But it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. So as you can see in this covenant and kingdom DNA, that's our DNA. Our role as a child of God, if we just embrace that identity, it'll allow us to operate with increased authority and increased power as an ambassador and step into things we've never felt we could ever do. Amen? I'm gonna pass this over to my wife so she could share a little bit of a, uh, some testimony associated with that. That was good. <laughs> All right. Good job, good job, Aaron. So when we look at um, that covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility, as Micah was sharing, um, we see that God gives all of his disciples, all of his disciples. That means each and every one of us, not just some of us, not just, you know, this side of the room or that side of the room, but all of us, that big responsibility to bring the kingdom of, of God to earth. And what we have to always remember that he assures us each and every time that we don't have to do this alone, that he's always with us. And for me today, I can say that I honestly believe that 100%. Um, I know that God has called me into specific ministries and specific purposes. Um, and I know that without a doubt that he's with me every step of the way. Even when the enemy starts chirping in my ear or giving me doubt or he tries to throw his different tactics to kind of steer me off, you know, that path of what I know God has for me. Um, I know if you've asked me that, 15 years ago, I would say I, I didn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. Um, as many of you know, I have shared um, multiple times that when God first called me to go to Zambia, Africa. Always, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was really quick to say no. This quick response was, it was rooted in a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of feeling of unworthiness. At this time, I didn't have a secure sense of identity in him. I didn't understand that he was always good. I didn't understand that he was an always a gracious father. And most importantly, I didn't understand that he was the king of kings. And nor did I believe or understand that I was a beloved daughter and an ambassador for his kingdom. Um, the fear and anxiety that I had included things like flying. Um, when I was young, I went on a, um, a trip with my dad. My mom was pregnant at the time with um, my brother Eric and so she couldn't travel. And this was my first time um, in an airplane. And um, we were in a huge thunderstorm um, to a point to where like everybody on the plane seriously thought we were gonna crash. Um, and now God's calling me to go to Africa to where I'm gonna be in an airplane for over 24 hours across the world. <laughs> um, on top of that, um, I had asthma since I was two years old and to a point to where I had to use an inhaler you know, every day just to be able to breathe. Um, and in Zambia specifically, uh, they burn their trash daily, so the air quality is terrible, um, and there's not a lot of reliable medical care. Um, and along with that, at the same time, I didn't have an, a relationship with God in which I was actually pursuing him, actively pursuing him on a, on a daily basis. So I didn't know my true identity in him. 
And it wasn't until I stepped out in faith, you know, the first time in 2006, um, but again in 2008 and two more times in 2010 that I truly understood and began to understand the identity that I had in him. Um, And it was during that time that I began to see firsthand God starting to use me, not through my power and authority, but through his power and authority and his protection to conquer the enemy and all the areas in life that we see here on earth of all the darkness um, in this lost world. Um, What's beautiful is just the love that he continued to pour over me during this time. And in 2010, before we went on our trip, we had a, you know, our church came together just to pray for each other. And my friend at the time said, hey, did, have you ever asked God to heal you of your asthma? And for me, I feel like I had agreed with the lie of the enemy, that asthma just was who I was, that it was who I was created to be. Um, and I never even thought of it. It was just like, that's who I am. Like, that's, that's just part of who I am. I have asthma. And so during that time, they prayed for me. They prayed for my healing to be, or for my asthma to be completely gone. And at that moment on that day, I have yet to have my asthma return, and it's been over 12 years. Amen. Amen. I should know better. I should always have these. Um, this invitation from God to step into um, to step out in faith wasn't just you know for breath of heaven going to Zambia, but God has you know called me back into into another ministry with the Black Sheep Motorcycle Ministry, um, something that I didn't think I could ever see myself be part of. Um, one reason is because, and probably the only reason I ever thought this is because again when I was young I saw a really bad motorcycle accident that took place in front of our home. And I told myself I would never get on a motorcycle. Um, And then, you know, God being the funny comedian that he is, he brought me a husband who loves to ride motorcycles. Um, And so, uh, you know, saying yes a few times to get on the back of that, completely terrified, but, you know, doing it because, you know, trying to, you know, impress this cute little man right here. Um, Little did I know that, uh, you know, he would call me into full ministry to be on a motorcycle every single time I stepped out. Yeah. (laughs) In that moment, though, I didn't respond like I did before with that quick no, because I remembered. I remember what God had did for me and through me when I stepped out in faith and said yes. So I knew that God was calling me into this ministry to bring the kingdom of God into the motorcycle community. And my faith now at this time, I could say was now deeply rooted in the personal relationship that I had with him. I was constantly pursuing him, and I saw him constantly show himself when I said yes, whether or not it was in the big things like saying yes and going to Zambia or getting on a motorcycle and and ministering to the motorcycle community. But I can also see it now in the everyday. It's not about, you know, being called to ministry to go on the other side of the world. It's calling to do ministry right here, right here right here in your city, right here in your work, right in your family. Regardless of what that looks like, God is calling each and every one of us. He has that invitation and challenge for us each and every day. And so I just, I just pray for you guys right now and just for you guys just to sit in. You know, the question we always ask is what, is, what is God saying to you right now? You know, so many of us think like, I have no purpose or I have, a, I'm unworthy. Like, how is God going to use me? There's mothers in this house. There's, there's, there's fathers. There's grandmothers. There's grandfathers. There's There's uh, people who are retired but have a different community that they see all the time. There's people that are going to work each and every day. There's people that we see on the street where you get that feeling in your stomach of you're like, man, I feel like I'm supposed to go talk to them or I'm supposed to go pray for them. I encourage you to do it, not through your strength, but for through the power and authority that God has. Because just like Micah says, when you experience it and you realize that it's real, You want nothing more than to share that truth with the people around you that are hurting, that need that healing, that need to know just just that little word that, you know, God is real. God is moving. And he's alive. Amen. Amen. All right. So the call to action. That was awesome, my love. Yes, that was awesome. Um, The call to action for this group. Like I was sharing in the beginning, 
Sometimes knowing your DNA can really bring peace, can bring truth, can bring justice in ways that you've never known. And, and we hope that what we share today, this idea that you are a child of God and you have a mission to serve because it's in your DNA, then we recognize that now we can embrace that. And the secret sauce is, again, when we have more secured identity, knowing through his grace that we are a child of God and nothing else, and we won't lose that, we can have more authority and operate in more power and take back territory that has been lost in the darkness and so that they too can experience the goodness that many of you, I'm sure, have experienced here. So to end, we've got one more slide, one more verse. That's the one right here. John 14, 12. She says, I tell you truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So if we look at the covenant relationship and the kingdom responsibility as I've underlined them here, faith in me is the relationship in Jesus, right? We have a relationship with Jesus. Having faith in him is the relationship that he offers to us. He says he stands at the door. He's ready. We just need to step into that. And then the responsibility, kingdom responsibility we have as a result of that covenant relationship is we will do even greater things. That isn't for, that isn't for just Joe Shmuel. That's for everybody in this room. We will do greater things. The challenge and the call to action I have for you today is if you are feeling that, if you're feeling like, man, I just feel like there's more that I have to offer to this kingdom there's more that I'm missing in this, and, I, and there's things that are in my life that are just less than heavenly. I'm here. My wife and I are here to tell you that there's, there's something to be had because it already exists in you. It's in your DNA. That we can fulfill this passage by just engaging and embracing more of our relationship with Jesus and stepping out and surrendering to that will that we will see more power because of a loving obedience that just comes from that relationship. Yeah. Okay, I, got, I feel like I got two different things. I feel like there's, there's people in the room who are like at that door, like are ready to like step out, like they want to, like they, they've heard God, they, 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 they know in their heart what God's calling them to act on. Um, and I feel that you're just nervous about saying yes and committing and stepping out in faith. Um, and I also feel there's like on the different spectrum of there's some people maybe in the room who feel like you're completely lost, like you have no idea, you have no idea like what your purpose is, that you don't have that strong identity in Christ. And so I just encourage you guys, as Micah has shared, we'll have, you know, prayer team members come up. Um, or if you want Micah or I to play, uh, pray with you, please don't walk out of this church today without experiencing our Heavenly Father because he has such great things for you today. And so if you are on either one of those um, spectrums of like, hey, I just need a little encouragement to, you know, step out in faith or I'm lost, like I don't know, please, please come up here for prayer. All right, so to end, basically, the thing I always think about is in the same way this was embraced by us and really transformed our lives, we now recognize that as transformed people, we have the authority and power to transform people. So transformed people transform people. Who wants to be transformed? That's the deal. Who wants to be transformed in this room? And if you feel that sense, as my wife just pointed out, and you just need a little nudge, we're here. We'll have prayer team members up here. They, can, they will pray because that is their kingdom responsibility in this moment to exercise and call in from the heavenlies more, more truth, more words of knowledge, more love and goodness over your life. So if you're there today, if any of you are here today and that's the, the case, please come up and ask for prayer. And then lastly, Lastly, if you're here today and all the stuff that you're hearing is like, wow, left field, and it's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want one after hearing what you heard today, I want you to come up here too. It'll be a private thing. We'll talk, we'll pray for you because that is the beginning. 
That's taking that step of faith, the same way my wife shared in her testimony, taking that step of faith for a future that will show that you will do even greater things in this kingdom. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. Father, that as you've pointed out, when, when we are wondering and, and just longing after the question, for what purpose am I here, Lord, that you have expressly shared that to us through your, your spiritual DNA that's found in your Bible, through the covenant and kingdom theme that is in your Bible, that through a relationship, a covenant relationship with you and a kingdom responsibility and purpose in you, Father, that we can embrace and see more of your authority and power in our lives so that you can work in and through us to bring more of your kingdom of God here on earth, just as it is in heaven, to places uh, that are complete darkness, Lord. If there's people, Lord, in, in our community right now, in, in, in our families, in our sphere of influences that are struggling, Lord, with healing issues, pain in their bodies, Lord, we know, Lord, that you bring us, you, you send us with authority and power. And we come to take back that territory. If we have people suffering from anxiety, depression, Lord, that you bring us, you send us off, Lord, in authority and power to bring back territory. Lord, if, we're, if we know people in our lives that are suffering from addiction, Lord, that we, you send us again, Lord, in authority and power to take back what's rightfully yours, your children, the ones that are struggling right now, Lord. So, Father, we pray right now that if you've stirred up in anyone in this room uh, an interest in trying to step into more of a relationship with you, with you, or maybe it's the first time they even have that relationship and, and commit to that relationship, Father, that they would step forward when we have our prayer team after the, we close here, and that, Lord, this prayer team, that you would work in and through them, that your kingdom goodness would just flow, your peace would flow, your justice would flow, your revelation would flow, just in the same way that we were sharing at the beginning through just genetic genealogy, Lord, that your genealogy, your spiritual DNA would just flood us in a way that we are empowered as we leave the threshold of this building. We thank you, Lord, for what you do in our lives each day. And we can't wait to share more of your testimony of how you've impacted our lives so that we, as transformed people, can go out and transform people for your kingdom. We thank you, we praise you, and this be all to your glory, Lord, in your son's mighty name, amen.